You're listening to Who Wears the Pants. This is Mike. I'm Chris. Chris, what do we talk about on this bullshit show? We talk about relationships. Like love. Sex. Butt stuff. Rock and roll. Anal. All of it. (laughs) Beads. Yeah. Wieners. Yeah. Love. (laughs) Death. Family. (laughs) Kids. Friends. We talk about all of it, all relationships, whether it is a paternal relationship or an intimate relationship or a friendship. Holy cow. So I'm super excited about this one. Um, We have the great, powerful, mighty Teacher of the Year recipient, Chris Holmes, teacher of the year. Yeah, was this like it? Was this like an H.H. Holmes thing? Like, was are you an architect? Do you design murder homes? Is that what you got an award for? That's like the biggest BS award in the history of awards. Oh, hardly. You got to meet the president. That's kind of a big deal. Wait, wait, wait. Which one? He came to watch you teach. No one came to watch me teach. That's. I got an award for teaching, and no one watched me teach. I did. But you, know, you didn't vote. I I vote. Just I didn't vote for that <laughs> award. It's funny when I was thinking about being on on your show. I kept like having flashbacks to when you were in my classroom. Did and you? It was great. It was great going back to those days, seeing you as a high school student. I was an asshole. Was no, you were not. No, not even close. So it's so funny. Um, you, you I passed high school because of you. No, and he's he's actually recounted this anecdote on the show before. He praises you publicly and privately. You're you're an exceptional and outstanding human being, but here we're not here so that I can suck you off. I know. You're disappointed. Um but <laughs> I was going to say I'm just let me just go in the corner. I'm going to put on my Superman pajamas and watch. So we were we were going to talk about uh teaching people in relationships. So you're you're a father and a teacher and um there's there's like training that goes into every single relationship. And how is it that you uh you go about training people in relationships or teaching in relationships? Training is an interesting word. Conditioning, like brainwashing, manipulating. Is there a was there a better way we should describe it, sir? I wouldn't put it that way. It makes me sound kind of creepy. <laughs> well, it's so if you say good job to your spouse, they're they're like, okay. I might do this again. Yeah, like my wife and I, we banged this afternoon, and she gave me a huge high five afterward just to let me know that I had done a good job. And so she's training you. Yes, yeah, she is. No, well, well, training is the app is the appropriate word. Considering you know my blinders and gag, I'm absolutely being trained, and I've been <laughs> naughty. So yeah, so that's an interesting approach to relationships. I, I you know, I don't think I, I look at it that way. Quite, um, I look at relationships more as I'm genuinely interested in people. And, and I think if you like try to build a relationship, like if that's your intent, like I'm going to make a connection with this kid, therefore I'll be able to teach this kid. I, I don't think it's genuine. And I, especially with teenagers, I think most teenagers look at that and they're like, you know, their radar, their BS radar goes off and they're like, this guy isn't genuine. Um, so I like people. I like, especially adolescents. I think they're fascinating creatures. I think they're a lot smarter than people give them credit for. And, um, I like them. I like being around them. So I, I think that has a lot to do with being able to build a relationship when you genuinely are interested in the people that you're you're talking to. Will you keep a relationship with most of your students after they leave high school too? And that's that's because that's because what? 
because it's actually a relationship. Well, no, and that's amazing. So there's a job where, okay, you graduated, great, it's nice knowing you, bye. Um, that's a job, and people are very, very good at that, and it's fine. It's just not me. Like, if I develop a connection with someone, then I'm, I'm with them. And um, I, I, I don't think I try to do that. I think it's how I approach people. So is there has there been like a a student or I- anybody in particular that's kind of stood out to you and that you've taken like special interest in because you're you're very active in every everybody's life that uh, you've had the opportunity to work with it seems like I mean at very um, minimum they follow you there was you know, people are so nice sometimes they they give compliments when compliments aren't due. Um, one of the compliments that I, I received from students that I hold closest to my heart is this this one kid, probably at the same time as you um, at West, and he said, you treat everyone the same. Like, the smart kids, the kids who struggle, the athletes, the nerds, you treat them all the same. You believe in all of them, you give them all the hard time, you push them all to be better, you support them. I mean, and that to me was the best compliment I could ever get as, as a teacher. I think I just I don't take favorites. Um, but to go to your question, were there some kids that kind of stood out? Um, yeah, they're, they're kids that stand out. I, I think the kids that stand out most are the kids who have the most needs, or at least the needs that maybe I can help fill. Um, you know, I had a principal when I first started teaching my very first year in Clayton who said, um, every kid needs a Trump card. This is before Donald Trump, so it's not a Donald Trump <laughs> reference. Everybody needs a Trump card. Just one thing in high school that made all the other shit in high school okay. Like one thing that could trump all the other stuff um, and let the kid thrive in school in, you know, in spite of all the other crap in the kid's life or you know with social stuff or whatever, struggles in school, just one thing. Um, and sometimes that's me. And sometimes it's band. And sometimes it's the chemistry teacher. And you know, it could be a lot of things. But for some kids, it's me. And for those kids, yeah, there's, a, I wouldn't call it a special interest, but almost a responsibility. Like, I see the potential for connection, and um, I know this kid can benefit from from um, a deeper connection with this particular teacher, and, and, and then I facilitate that. And, yeah, that's kind of what I do. So is that something that you've done with your family as well? Because, like, as, as a dad, you're well. As a dad, you're like the ultimate teacher. Well, you better be, because I, I'm I'm 45 years old, right? And my parents were the first generation of people that did not breed for slave labor on the farm, and therefore they were the first generation of people that realized they fucking hate kids, and so they neglected us and beat us and just they were fucking horrible, right? So anyway, I just wanted to give some context for Chris's question. <laughs> I appreciate that. How did you guys meet? We, I, I I'm was Chris. At, oh, I'm sorry, Chris. Go right ahead. So Mike was my boss at the uh, at the fantasy shop. I worked at the comic book shop that he ran. Well, that's not the important part of the story. The important part of the story is is that we did a two interview process, right? Where the manager of a location would interview potential candidates. They would boil it down to one to three people, and then I, as the GM of the company, would interview them alongside the manager. And it was really for me always an exercise, not about the candidate, but about the manager themselves. I wanted to see what was their thinking process on hiring this person. And so with Chris, I sat down and I was like, what are you doing here? 
you're you're way too smart to be doing this job. You've got a great attitude. This job is dead end. It's not for you. You need to not be here. And so Chris just assumed that he wasn't going to get the job after the interview because that was like one of the very first things I asked him. And then the second he left, I looked at his potential boss and I was like, you got to fucking hire that kid. He's great. He's great. He's smart. He's this. He's that. He's, I went on and on and on and on. And Aww. then his boss hired him. Thanks. I appreciate the context. That makes everything clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just you know, to that point, um, truly one of the, the, the coolest kids I ever taught in all of my 20 years of teaching. And, there, and I'm not just saying that. So the reason I would say that is because you got someone who thinks on his own. Um, as a teenager, at a time when the whole world, especially his peers, are saying, do this this way and you will be accepted. And you had this kid who was bold enough to say, I, I think I'm going to do it this way because this is me. And God, I had so much respect for you, Chris, as, you know, as your teacher. And then, ah, I've been all these years kind of told you that, but that's how I saw you. But he's, but he's grown into a proper cunt. I mean, he, I mean, that, that you not squashing that has made him practically unbearable. Oh, okay. (laughs) You were talking about how great Chris is and about how it was impressive to you that when you saw someone in their youth who, when basically conformity's crushing down on him and he just continued to resist it and that made an impact on you. Yeah, yeah, this was cool that way. That was, uh... I think that, you know, have different needs and, and a good school has a staff of teachers who can meet those kids' needs, regardless of the kid. And sometimes it's me, and sometimes it's another teacher. And that's just a, a healthy school, I think, that can provide those opportunities for different kids. So, yeah, the question that I asked before that, because you asked how we knew each other, it was, uh, I said, as a father, you're like uh, the ultimate yeah. teacher. I was trying to deflect that. Maybe that's the one. Right, oh, yeah, because, I, oh, yeah, my, no, because my father okay. taught me nothing other than right, right. Uh, other than to get him, <laughs> other than where to get him beer, right? I mean, my father <laughs> taught me nothing, and my mother just taught me how to take a punch. So, so is this supposed to be like a, a am I supposed to take this, this, this conversation like super seriously, or we just have a fun? <laughs> so, you, you take this however you want. Yeah. Okay, okay just so be genuine. Yeah. Yeah, be your, be yourself and make sure your students don't hear this. Yeah, they, they, I don't know. They might. I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm it hearing matter. it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I came to West. So Chris and I met at Hazelwood West, and I came to West at a time, and I was really kind of in a funk in my life and, and felt like a failure. And West, I've always said this. I've said it publicly. West saved me. You know, kids like Chris saved me. That made me feel like I had a purpose, like I had value, and I tried to give that back to them, and it was great. I love teaching there, and I'm back there now after being gone for four years, and I couldn't be happier. Um, but I was not the father that I am now back when I, I came to West. So I have a, a son who's 28 now. Um, he's got high-functioning autism, but he, he's high-functioning. He's very, very smart but has a really hard time with, and Chris knows this because I've probably told stories about Charlie mm-hmm. and Chris when he was in my class. Because when I had Chris as a student, it was at a time when things were rough at our house. I mean, they, I was a bad dad. It was just a very unhealthy home environment. And I was one of the causes of that. So you talked about 
like a father. And I don't know if he, like, maybe people look at me and they know me as a teacher and they think, oh, God, he's such a great father. No, man, I sucked. I was not a good father. Um, I didn't have control of my emotions. Um, I wasn't patient with my son like I am with my students. And then one day something happened in the street. Charlie had come back from doing something. And I broke down and started crying. And I thought, what if I started treating my son the way I treated my students? Like this big epiphany, big light bulb went off in my head. And I started to. And it totally transformed me as a father, which then helped me become a better teacher, which then helped me become a better father. So it's all like during the time when I met you, Chris, and then for the next six or seven years, I taught at West, um, I gradually evolved into a decent dad. Um, but when I started, I, I wasn't. Um, so it's an interesting question. It's a pretty serious question. I don't know if you meant it that way, but. It is. It's a serious question as far as the father. Um, I was just out before we started this. I was out at the fire pit in my backyard with my daughter. Um, and we have a great relationship. And my son, my other son, we have a great relationship. Charlie came out. We have a great relationship. Everything's great in our house now. But it took a while to get there. It was rough for a while. You know, being a good parent is not easy. Well, there's not. Um, but speaking helped me get there. There's not a training manual on being dad. And that's fucking hard. Like, I, I know uh, it, it's easy to get pissed off, it, especially at your kids when something's not going quite right, and you're like, dude, what the fuck? Like, that's not what human people do. And apparently yeah. it is. So, no, I totally get that. And the question is, it, it was a serious question just because I only have the utmost respect for you. So I, And it, here, in high school, this is 12 years ago, wild, um, but in high school, you were talking about how uh, your daughter loved you brushing her hair, but not your wife. I want daddy to do it. Daddy brushes my hair right. You're like, I do it the exact <laughs> same way. And that, that that stuck with me. I'm like, this guy is fucking exceptional um, because his baby loves him. And like that, that was cool. That was super cool. And uh, you were talking about writing a book about your son at the, at that time called crazy bastard. Yep. Did you, did you get to finish that? Did that come to fruition? Clear, crazy bastard is not Charlie. Uh, the crazy bastard in that time was me. Um, I was adopted, born out of wedlock. I'm the bastard, um, and it was this idea. It was had a lot to do with mental illness at the time. Charlie was diagnosed with a mental illness, various mental illnesses. He's not mentally ill. He has autism, which is not a mental illness. Um, but you know, for a kid like Charlie, that who perplexed all the doctors and all the psychologists and all the counselors, they didn't know what to call it so it was almost like a diagnosis would come up and they'd throw a dart and whatever stuck on that's what the diagnosis of the day was um, but at the time there was this um, idea that it was a mental illness thing at the same time I don't know when this happened Chris but I think it might have been around that time I found my birth parents so I went searching for my birth parents and found them and found out I had a brother who was homeless in LA with schizophrenia and so there was that aspect of mental illness that was woven into that idea about the book. And I, I've, got, I've got hundreds of pages written, notes and, and stuff written on that book that I stopped working on because I didn't think it was fair uh, to Charlie or my brother to tell their story. Um, it wasn't my story to tell. Um, it was really about their, their struggles as much as mine and just decided that it was the wrong thing to do. So 
I did it more for therapy. And you guys helped with that because I would share some of my writing with you and I'd share my stories with you and you'd give me feedback and talk to me and kind of help me through that. I know that as teenagers, you probably didn't realize you were doing that service, but you were. Um, but I never wrote the book. I've written other things, but um, that one I won't write. I, I mean, I think that's fair. It's very, it's very interesting. Now, how how is autism classified? So I, I, I do have a mental illness. I, I suffer from clinical depression. Um, but how do they classify autism? It's a developmental disability. Gotcha. So like my dyslexia. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I don't have kids because I'm perpetually 17 years old. And uh, I've said this before, but I, I really sincerely believe that there is a tremendous amount of maturity and wisdom that as a human being, I missed out on because I don't have children to raise. And I don't look at another human being's development from the prism of, of caretaker. Right. And so I, I have, I have great, great respect for people that have kids I just, I, I can't do it. I think you also have a tremendous amount of wisdom because you have depression. Right. We all have our, our, our wisdom from different places. Sure. I have, I have a schizophrenic brother, too. Yeah, really? Yeah, we, we found out about two years ago. Wow. They thought, he was, uh, they thought he was bipolar, and then he went into psychosis for the first time. Yeah. It, 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 totally bizarre, weird, weird thing. His was a uh, drug induced initially. He was out experimenting with acid or whatever, and yeah, went into a full blown psychosis, religious delusions, and all that fun stuff. It was, it was different. And he's uh, he's in a home now. Like that's, it's a shit sandwich, you know. Yeah, I found Paul um, about the time you were a student, maybe after you left. It, it, no, I was a student. I remember you talking about it. It was two thousand eight. So I went to L.A. and, and actually tracked him down and found him. Um, and over the course of the next three or four years, we finally got him into a shelter. And he ultimately, in order, he got an apartment for people who were mentally ill and homeless. But the stipulation was he had to take medicine in order to stay in it. And he refused to take the medicine because he thought that the government was going to institutionalize him and drug him. So he's homeless again. And I've lost track on that to where he's at. So yeah, it's it, and, and once you delve into that world, and I, I guess one of the cool things about living a life like that, I would like to say I've lived a full life, um, I've had a lot of experiences, and a lot of them not favorable, is they add, and as you say, wisdom, you know, they add insight that you can then share with your students. And as a teacher, to be able to bring in pain and heartache and reality and be vulnerable with kids and share some of those stories um, is powerful for kids. They don't get that a lot. Well, it teaches them that um, it's okay to be vulnerable. You get a little bit of yourself, but they get some of themselves. And you talk about connection. That's how we started this conversation. You want to build connection with kids? Well, you better tell them about yourself. Why would they tell you about themselves if you don't tell yourself, tell them about you, you know? So yeah. I share myself with them. Absolutely. That's got to be particularly challenging though because as you said i mean you're, you're talking about kids that are what 14 to 17 years in age range who are going through as you said the social pressures to conform their bodies are changing everything's awkward and then on top of it throw in the the nightmare that is social media and the expectations that that brings into people's relationships and their behavior i I, I I just I don't know 
it, it seems to me, and I, and I recognize that each person is is unique and individual, and that you, I'm sure, cater that relationship with each person differently because they are unique individuals. But God, it sounds like it sounds really, really hard, and it, it just it's it's amazing to me that you're able to actually get through to people like Chris and remember them and maintain relationship with them. I I don't have a single teacher who I had a relationship with beyond high school, right? I have two teachers that I remember them to this very, very day, but no one impacted me the way that you impacted Chris. Do you have other students with whom you still maintain contact? Yeah. A lot. That's really. Well, how do you find fucking time? I mean, you've got a family of your own, and you've got relationships that you maintain with these other kids. That is very selfless. Oh, uh, I don't know if I can go that far. It, it's no different than the friends that you have. I mean, if you had a friend who, um, I don't know, popped up on on Facebook or social media or texted you and said, "Hey, dude, can we go talk?" I mean, what would you do? I would go talk to him. Yeah, of course. So different than that. I mean, um, but, but I guess the genesis of your relationship is unique though. Most people, at least in my experience, don't have these kind of relationships with teachers. And that makes you, that makes you special. Yeah. Special is one word. Um, Other people (laughs) might use inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) I was not, here's the deal. I was, I just went back to the West, so I'm a new teacher, right? So I'm going through orientation and being trained as a new teacher. So I'm going to go through all these, these steps. Um, and this one question I was asked by the person kind of leading this session was, you know, what can we help you work on? And I said, well, here's the deal. Like, in the classroom, I've always been pretty solid. Like, I could teach, and, and I have good relationships with my kids. But I really suck as an employee. I'm, like, not a good employee. <laughs> Every boss I had hates me. <laughs> now why so, is that because I, I think I, I, I do what I think is right and what you, this is probably true outside of education too sometimes what, what's right is not what is protocol or not what is what you're supposed to do or expected to do um, and I've been fortunate that I've gotten away with it and that's really the way and I think if you talk to my, my supervisors over the years they'd say the same thing he's pretty fortunate he got away with it um, because I was pretty, you know, irrev- irrev- uh, irreverent or cavalier in my approach. Um, and I was lucky they kind of left me alone. And I was able to do the things, you know, in teaching that, that maybe they don't teach you to do in teacher school. Yeah, you strike me as the kind of person who knows precisely how much pressure to be applied before something breaks, right? You strike me as somebody who is professional and together, but also not afraid to call bullshit on bullshit, but you know where the line is, right? Like, you know where to stop, what's too far. So I think you know precisely what you're doing. I think I know what I'm doing. By now, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, so how, 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 uh, how has your relationship with your wife evolved over the years then? (laughs) Wait, is this the first, is is this the first one? Is this the first marriage? Yeah, we've been married for 28 years. Oh, excellent. First one. Uh, yeah, that's wow. That's wild, wildly complicated. Only marriage? 
Meaning, meaning you don't have you don't have you're not a polygamist. You, no, no, no. You don't have an ex-wife. You don't have that baggage. <laughs> no, no, no. I wasn't asking about an ex. I was like a second or third wife <laughs> or a husband. I mean, fuck, I don't know, man. One woman, man, who I'd probably be, and this is not just a statement, but I, I might be homeless or in jail or bankrupt if it weren't for that relationship. That's the honestly got truth. Um, she's the opposite of me in many ways. She's like stable and... Um, not conservative politically, but just, you know, poised and restrained. And um, she's just calm. And not that I'm not calm. It's just, I don't know, we're a good balance. The, the things I struggle with, my weaknesses, she has strengths in. And vice versa. And it, it works. But it's not pretty. I mean, it, marriage is not pretty. Marriage is I don't hard. Know if, marriage. if they have a pretty marriage, then they are really good actors. Because I don't think, I think marriage is one of the hardest things that you can do well throughout a lifetime. And if a marriage fails, I don't think it's a failure. I don't think that is a failure in life. It just is a reality of life. You know, those relationships, those monogamous relationships with one person where, you know, your whole purpose of living is to try to fulfill who you are, but yet you can't do that because you have to compromise because now you're in a union with one other person. It's like contradictory. How do you do that? How do you give yourself and be yourself at the same time? And that's been the struggle for me in my marriage is how do I balance that? Um, at the same time, she's incredible. You know, I'm able to do the work that I do because she supports me to the point that I'm able to do it. I think most marriages would have crumbled. Most women would have left me long ago, long, long, long. Um, so I'm very fortunate that way. But no, you're fine. Because here's the here's the secret to women: all all women all women want a fixer upper, but they don't want a fixer upper that does not have the will to defy them. If you're a fixer upper who can actually be fixed up, dude, you're fucked, man. They're they're in that relationship, and as soon as they realize that you are a weak, spineless piece of fucking milk toast, and they can actually repair and change you, they're on to the next challenge. So you're doing it right, man. You are absolutely doing it right. There's just enough tenacity and bullshit there to keep her interested. I've been with the same woman for 28 years as well, so I know precisely what you're talking about. We're, we're we're about to hit our ten year mark. Oh God, that's crazy! Oh, well, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's it's hard. It's it's really really tough, especially now because my wife and I. I'm I'm assuming with well, actually, yeah. Fuck, this isn't about me. So, are you doing remote teaching? Yeah. How horrible is that? Horrible. I'm so sorry because you. you started a conversation about connection building connection unless you have a prior relationship which i don't these are all kids i didn't know developing that level like for instance if chris is in my classroom and i'm walking around the classroom and i, I want to see something he's right and i've been down and I, I give a comment to him we have a five second conversation it could be serious it could be funny whatever and i'm constantly roaming around the classroom doing this building these little relationships and over time they build into this super solid deep relationship i can't do that through a computer and so my whole way of teaching is gone and i've got to reinvent how i connect with kids so i can get them to the point where they're motivated to want to learn i mean that's teaching these days it isn't so much do you know the content are you a master at instructional strategy 
question is, do you know humans? And can you get them to the point where they want to learn? Or whether they feel emotionally um, like they they care to learn or they're prepared to learn and they can learn. And doing that remotely through a computer, that's hard. That's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And I'm still figuring it out. We've been doing it for three weeks now. And it's tough, man. It's not, you know, it's funny you say that. I had, I woke up really in a bad mood today. Just frustrated that this wasn't working, this remote learning. I'm like, God, am I going to have to do it this way all year? These kids have to be miserable. Um, and then I get this email from this kid. So we started this dropout prevention program at West about, about 11 years ago for kids who really were on the brink of just dropping out. Um, and I, I helped start that and did that. And then I left West and I came back. And now the program is barely alive. There are like seven kids left in this program. And I've got these kids in a class. So I told the kids a week, you know, two weeks ago when I met them, I said, look, I, I just want to meet once a week, all right? Just check in. I'll check your grades. We'll talk, you know, make sure you're okay. So this one kid, uh, we met last week for the first time, and uh, he said, I play baseball. And I'm like, oh, I, I play baseball. That's cool. You know, so we talked baseball for a while. He was wearing his uniform during our Zoom, and I said, you got a game tonight? He said, yeah, I got a game tonight. Where is it at? St. Charles. We're at CNA. So I know where CNA is. I might pop out there. He's like, what? I said, yeah, I might pop out there. It's a Friday night. Yeah, I might stop by for an inning or two. And I did. Oh, I didn't talk to him. Just watched him play. Came back home, shot him an email, said, dude, you got a nice swing. You dropped your back shoulder. Don't do that. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Like, okay, so like several days go by, and it's Friday today. And he emails me again, and he's like, hey, are, are we still meeting like every Friday um, after school? And I look at his grades, and I shoot him an email back. I'm like, dude, you got like all A's and one B. You're rocking school. We don't need to meet if you don't want to. And he emails me back, and he says, yeah, I kind of like talking to you. I think we got a connection if that's okay. If you don't want to meet, that's fine. I said, we're meeting at 2.30. And we met, and we talked. So that gives me hope. But that's the kind of connection that is hard to develop remotely. Um, and I got that kid, and he's got me, and we are going to be tight for the next two years because of, you know, we were able to, to talk like that. But I don't have that opportunity, you know, when I've got 30 kids on a, on a screen like this. Um, it's different, and it's not good for them or for teachers. And the sooner we can, in a healthy way, get back into the room, the better. Wow. Yeah, my kids are doing the remote learning, and uh... – we're, we're in the Parkway District, and I was trying to get them to go to school. They they sent us an email, and they were like, hey, do you want to do a uh, mixed week where you do three-day digital learning, two days um, remote? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. They need, they need that interaction with other kids because developmentally that's huge, especially when they're young. Mine are 10 and 7, so they need that. They're learning the boundaries and whatnot with people and with teachers, so with authority, with, with peers. Like it's it's – it's of the utmost importance to develop those skills now so that when they grow up and get into the workforce and all that fun stuff, that they're productive individuals and that they can function properly in society. So it, it's it's kind of heartbreaking to see it how it is right now. Because kids don't give a shit if you're just a face on a screen, you know? No, and they want to. They want to give a shit. But they can't. They, they've got no way to. It's, it's not a good situation anyway. And 
I don't want to get political because I don't think there's a political side to it. Um, it's hard on everyone. Any any decision is hard. You know, regardless of if you take a political stance, anyone, it's a catch twenty two. It's a hard decision. So I don't take a political stance on it. I want everybody healthy and safe, including myself and my family. But I also know as a teacher what human beings, what students need, and they need to be in class. As soon as we can do that in a healthy way, we need to do that because they desperately need that connection, and, and I, as a teacher, need that connection. Is there um, is there anything that you're really looking forward to, like any one particular thing that you're super looking forward to for when you get to start doing in-person learning again? One thing in particular? So, Chris, you, you, probably, you know how memories are, like we kind of romanticize things, yeah. and we make them into better than they actually were. So Chris probably can't accurately speak to this, but I'm kind of an average teacher. Like, instructionally, and, and especially with organization, I'm a pretty average. I, I call bullshit. Um, I, I fuck off. I call bullshit. No. Because you have students that you you are an exceptional teacher. I don't need to see no. you in the classroom. All I need to know is that people are encouraged by you, and they want to maintain a relationship with you because you've made an impact on them, and you've seen something in them that you cultivate. Ah, you're an excellent teacher. I don't want to. That's crap. I know how to use Thank semicolons you. because of you. That's the point of my answer, though. So that's what I'm looking forward to is the opportunity to do that. I can't do that in this. So that, therefore, I feel like I'm pretty incompetent right now. I, I am literally pretty incompetent right now until I can get back in the classroom. So the one thing I'm looking forward to is being able to kneel down next to a kid and have a conversation with them. It could be five seconds. It could be five minutes. But that is what I do, and I can't do it right now. And that, Chris. And that's what that's management, right? I mean, when I was when I was working for when I was working for the shops, that's what I would try to convey to my managers is that management happens in those moments, right? That that relationship building and those little moments where you that person's the only person in the world, whether he said, whether it's five seconds or it's five minutes, you're developing a, a, a trust. It's right? an opportunity to coach. Yeah. yeah. And you don't, you don't need to, you don't need an hour set aside in a block to do that. You just need regular opportunity and exposure for those small increments. No wonder you had such an impact on Chris. Yeah. Chris had an impact on me. He just doesn't know it. I, yeah, I had no idea. I was like, oh, I was just some asshole kid. So it, it was hey, – Kurt, did you Cody, Cody Bright? I don't recall Cody. So, Cody, were you there when we started? What year did you graduate? I graduated in 2008. <sighs> okay, so like three yeah, – I know, I know. <laughs> Always like 40. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I graduated in 1993. <laughs> we had a – Three years later, we started this dropout prevention program. Had this kid named Cody, and, and and Cody, Cody was like seventeen years old and had three credits and was in no way going to graduate. And it was rough. And we ended up bringing credit recovery, like computerized credit recovery, to Hazelwood West because of this kid. Because one day he told me, I, I went through his credits. I said, okay, based on this, Cody, you're going to graduate in this year. He's like, fuck that. I'm out. I'm dropping out. There's no way I'm staying that long. And so I emailed the principal and I said, dude, we got to do something for these kids or we're going to lose them. So we brought in this program that allowed kids to catch up on their credit in a quick way. He ended up, I think, going maybe five years, six 
six years total in high school before he graduated. And it was rough. We had arguments. We'd cuss each other out. Um, but yet we were tight. We were so close. And he just had a rough life. Like it, everything was hard on this kid, including school. But he had a great work ethic. And he was a good kid. Like he had a great heart. You knew that. You could tell that. And so we just kept up this relationship. He eventually finally graduated. He wanted to get into to the Marines. And he was having a hard time for various reasons. We finally got him in. Worked his butt off in the Marines. Been in four years. Now he's ready to go back, go to college, um, a tech school, own his own shop. I mean, he's, he's just, he's a success. He is flat out exactly what he dreamed he could be. He's doing it. Um, and he emailed me yesterday saying, I don't know how to do a resume. Um, can you give me some tips? And I said, dude, give me your stuff and I'll do the resume. Are you kidding me? Of course I'll do it. He's like, you have no idea how much I owe you. I'm like, do you owe me, Jack? You, you don't know what you gave me. And this is the thing. So I appreciate the compliments, but the deal with teaching is that I think really good teachers are able to accept the gifts from students. Like you give us, Chris, you gave me something that you have no idea what you gave me. And so many students do this for teachers. And this Cody kid is like a second son to me, you know, and he doesn't know that. And that's, that's okay. He doesn't need to. But he is. And Chris is. And, and I think if you approach teaching that way, that you're not like this stage on a stage where you're going to change everyone's lives. But it's a, it's a give and take. It's a relationship. It truly is a relationship. It's a, it's a bond. Um, and not friends like equals. You know, there's obviously a hierarchy, but it's, it's a genuine relationship. And that's really what it's all about. That's amazing, right? I mean, like, I feel like such a fucking asshole. Like, this is the smartest stuff that's ever been said on this show. Do you see how, do you see how wise and mature and good and wide reaching your show would be without me? This is a grown up, though. This is the first time we've had a grown up on the show. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. I'm a grown up. Yeah. I mean, we're legally adults, but grown ups. Now I had a I had a I had a civics teacher who there was a teacher in high school named Sharon Usher. Uh, I went to Pattonville and uh, I did not have her. God, I I had her as a freshman, and then I went out of my way uh, in my junior. I'm sorry, in my sophomore and junior year to have her class in something right even though like in my seat in my junior year i think it was homeroom i just sat there and didn't fucking homework or whatever but that woman cared she didn't come in and do a job she came in and attempted to cultivate relationships with people which it sounds like precisely she was sort of the same teaching philosophy that you had and she's a person that i don't think i'll ever forget i mean i could pick her out of a lineup to this day so you started this show saying you didn't have a teacher like that. You did. Well, I okay, I do, but I don't communicate with her, right? I mean, if, if I had a relationship with her like you have with some of your students, I would still be talking to her, texting, emailing. Well, I, I have a relationship with students because of Facebook. I mean, that's the bottom line. The reason I, I'm able to stay in touch with kids is Facebook and Instagram. Um, without social media, I'm sure they'd go their own way and I'd go my own way, but social media allows me a little bit like to dog on, on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And I understand why there's a lot that's wrong with it. But it allows me to continue my teaching. 
Um, and if you if you went through my Facebook page over a year, you would I think it's a sense that it's an extension of what I, I do in the classroom. It's genuine. I'm not trying to teach, but um, it's continuing to build on those relationships. So when I make Facebook friends with former students, that's how it happens. It's not so much that I'm this you know great you know person they want to stay in touch with. Facebook just makes it so easy to do that. So you you have a we'll we'll get it wrapped up here because I don't want to keep you all night. Um, you have a podcast that you're doing, right? I'm trying. There's so yeah, I've had like two or three little little videos. But this last one, you know, you're supposed to do it like on a consistent basis. And this last one was supposed to be on um, meaning and purpose, right? Life, meaning, and and your purpose in life. And and I know exactly what I want to say, but. Saying it now in a, in a in a YouTube video, that's tough. And the approach I'm taking, this could totally bomb. And this is so. This is another thing. I, like I approach it, I teach. I'm not afraid to fail. Like I do some really dumb shit. Um, and if it doesn't work, then I I ask the kids to like tell me like, and they were like, "Holmes, that that really didn't work. Don't do that again." So I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> um, and so this may not work, but it's like a spoken word piece. So the way I'm approaching the next one on the meaning and purpose of life is through spoken words. So we'll see how that goes. It could totally suck, but it's me. And I think the way I'm approaching home slice is here's the way I'm going to teach where I don't have to be told the curriculum. I don't have to be, you know, follow any rules. I can reach people the way I want to reach them. And YouTube allows me to do that. So I'm going to try. It's early, you know, but uh, I'm going to give it a shot. Is there a website or anything that we can send people to for that, or is it all YouTube? I don't have a website. It's, it's Home Slice. I, you know, if you go to YouTube, type in Home Slice, it'll be there. H O L M S C L I C E. Slicing together life. Splice. There you I go. get it. I get it. <laughs> are, your, are your kids, do they, do they have any interest in becoming educators? My children? Yeah. Um,. But, okay. No, that's that's fair. So, I, 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 my youngest child, my daughter, uh, is a natural teacher. She she cringes at the idea of teaching, but she was born to teach. And she may do teaching like stuff in whatever profession she goes into. She may actually end up teaching because she's just a natural. Um, but no, I, but at the same time, like going to your point, a lot of people. I have a lot of friends who are teachers who dissuade their kids from becoming teachers. My kids know I love teaching. My wife was a teacher for many years. Um, so teaching is praised in my house, but it's not in a lot of teachers' houses, teachers' houses. So like, whatever you do, don't become a teacher. And this is a pervasive ideology among a lot of teachers throughout the nation. And I get it. I mean, it's, it's not a pretty place, you know, right now to be in education. Um, it's hard. Not a lot of love for teachers these days um, or support. But at the same time, I would still say teaching's a great, a great avenue. I don't think you're ever too, too, uh, too old to go into it. So always be a teacher. You hear that, Chris? You're never too old. Was that not that subtle? That I think I <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just assumed you were talking to me. That uh, that it, that at 45 <laughs> years old as a college dropout, that I should go back to school and get my teaching certificate. I think you'd be a phenomenal teacher. Uh, you're, a sweet, 
I would I would get fired. The first the first time I told a student to stop acting like a fucking cunt, then I'm gonna get fired. You might have to, to, to tailor the language a bit, but I still think so. So, before we go, I'm gonna tell one more story about having you as a high school teacher. I hope you don't mind. No, go ahead. Okay, so he gave us an assignment in creative writing, and it was, hey, I want you to write about a time that you had and, uh, you know, do it exactly how it happened. So I write the story filled with profanity and about taking my cousin to a porn store for his 18th birthday, all kinds of messed up stuff. And you're like, you're like, this is funny, but I think you need to tone it down on the profanity. But I'm like, this is what really happened. You're like, look, you, you got to cut it down. There's like 17 F words in here. If, if you could take it down to like two to five, I think we'd be safe. And I think I ended somewhere at like seven because I, I felt that they added so much to the story. So it was just hysterical to me. And you were like, you can't do that. And, you know, in school, and yeah, I was just like, it's cool that you're even letting me use a few of them, a couple f bombs. So, quick story. I know you, you know, you're wrapping this up. My dad was a college professor. He was an English professor. And when I was sick, like I, I had to miss school. He would bring me to his classroom. So I'd sit in the back of the classroom while he was teaching. And I remember one time, um, all of a sudden, he just started like screaming these profanity words, like the worst ones, like you know. Um, George Carlin, seven words you can't say on, on TV kind of stuff. And I was like, what the heck? And then he launched into this lesson about profanity and how powerful it can be and when to use it and when not to use it. So I teach spoken word poetry. I teach it at Missouri Scholars Academy in the summer. And I used to coach a team at Hazelwood West. And profanity is pretty common in spoken word poetry. Um, but at the same time, sometimes people use it for a reaction, like a cheap laugh or a cheap, like, ah, that's me. Guilty. <laughs> but there's a time and a place for it. You know, there's the time when it's the right word. It is the best word. And so I couldn't just tell you you can't use it because you're right. There, something happened in life where that was, that word captured what happened in life. Um, and so, like, when it comes to relationships, if you're not real with kids like that, you don't recognize that that's life. That yeah, they use that language and they can use it. Then you're really missing the point of of what their lived experience is like, and you got to respect someone's lived experience. So yeah, I mean, I think I probably had a an obligation to say tone it down, um, but at the same time, kids got to be kids. You know, you got to say what you feel. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. That means the world to me. Yeah, no no shit. I mean, all all sort of glib bloviation aside, you're fascinating. You really are. You guys are pretty cool, too. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, I'll message you when we put this up. If uh, I'll, I'll see if you're comfortable with us tagging you and stuff like that because it's quite uh mike said the the cunt word and the f word a lot what <laughs> well chris you, i don't i don't edit this show so i do i don't care yeah i, yeah, but I did yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's, he that's, didn't that's, he didn't cuss he I'm, didn't talk politics did he i mean he was on it was perfect yeah, yeah. you were you were brilliant yeah <laughs> yeah i'm cool i would love it be my honor awesome well thank you so much again and it's I, great meeting you i hope you enjoy the rest of your evening you too. All right, take it easy.
Hawkeye was yeah. great, man. No wonder he had such. No wonder he was such an important figure to you in your life. Right. What a neat fucking guy. Amazing human Seriously, person. Not. I'm not kidding. He was a neat guy. I can't. I, I'm stunned at how together a human being can be. Brilliant man. Yeah. No, for sure. What a neat guy. I'm so glad you scheduled him because that was a great episode. He was super fascinating. He was and. I'm going to try to get us more of that. 